take a look in the parking lot to see if there's any boats that you guys drove in this morning. Thank you so much for all of you that are here today and those of you online uh, watching from home. And we're so thankful for however you're worshiping with us today. Oh, man. Did you guys have a good week? Yeah. Did you have good Thanksgiving? Yeah? All right, real quick. I, we, the, I'm so curious this morning. I want to know what the best thing each one of you had for Thanksgiving. So on the count of three, want everybody just scream out what was the one best thing. I'll give you a second to think about it. And it's okay if your spouse is beside you and they cook the meal, pick what they think they spent most time on. Probably will save you some uh, marriage counseling later. But uh, all right, one, two, three. Yes, all of that. All of that. Now, for me, it was my wife's uh, sweet potato casserole. It's so, so good. I actually used to not like sweet potatoes at all until I married her. So there you go. So it's now Thanksgiving staple in our home. Um, wow. So thankful for all of you guys. I really am. And uh, you know what? We're in a Christmas season, right? Who's got their lights up? Oh, I see a few. A few. Yeah, I'm right here. There you go. Who's going to be working on it, right? Yeah. Well, I started listening to Christmas music a few weeks ago, so I'm one of those people. But uh, yeah, we're so excited. Christmas is such a special uh, season for me. Um, and not, the, not part of this story or the message today, but maybe a story for another time. But this is the time of year that God completely changed my life about 13 years ago. Uh, Christmas Eve 2009, I was one way, and then Christmas morning 2009, I was another. And uh, I'm just so thankful for this time of the year. So I go all out. I decorate. I Griswold my entire house and just go, just have a good time. If you want to ride by, see some good lights. I know a few places and uh, enjoy this season. But we're in Advent and we're going to talk a little more about that. Uh, but before that, I just want to acknowledge that we have a lot of our friends, a lot of our people in our church, they're just not feeling well this week. And um, I, I'm starting to call this the sub Sunday because I think almost in every role of uh, how we were able to do this worship service today, we have somebody stepping in. And I'm so thankful uh, for those first that came today and worked really hard to make this worship experience happen. And also want to say, I'm sorry, and we're going to pray for those that are uh, not here with us today. Uh, this also includes, uh, actually yesterday I got a call from Elena. And our sweet friend Elena was supposed to preach this morning, and she really, really wanted to do that. And hopefully we can get her up here again in a couple of weeks. But she wasn't feeling good, so she, she says she's sorry she couldn't be here today. So uh, I'm filling in for her. She sent me her note. So this message today is brought to you by Elena, myself, and the letters H and S. That's Holy Spirit, in case you're catching. There's my dad joke of the morning. There you go. There you go. But uh, so I just want to open up this morning, too. And there's just a, a lovely, mighty few here today, and I'm so thankful for each one of you. But uh, yeah, it just takes the space. I, I may regret this. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm going to open up the room. If there's a prayer request, we're going to pray for you. If you want to stand up, if you feel comfortable, you know, stand up and let us know. What, what's something we can pray for you today? And it's okay if there's nothing. Totally okay. Beth. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And those of you online, that's where we pray for Beth's mother who is in hospice care, and she's thankful for the care that she's getting. Anybody else? Yes. Hey, Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Crystal wants prayer for housing and her family, and we're going to believe in that today, Crystal. We are. Anybody else? Yes. Tom. It's okay, Tom. Mm. So sorry, buddy. Yeah, we'll pray for healing for you and your friend. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yes, AJ. Those of you at home, AJ, ask to pray for her friend Jed that doesn't know he's loved. And she expressed the gospel to him that there is no boundaries to love with Jesus. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for that. Well, if we all, as a community, those of you here and those at home, let's bow our heads and pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. We know you're already here. Work within us, move within us, change us. Lord, we also ask for those that are hurting, those in this room, those that are at home. God, that you be with them, that your peace, your everlasting peace flow over them. Lord, that the healing of the body, Lord, that you step into that space. We know that matters to you. We also pray, Lord, for, for healing of the soul and the spirit. God, that you refresh people, you restore them. We love you, Jesus, and we believe in you, and we know that you care for us, and your love has no boundaries. We praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that all. We are a community, and we will walk through this together. Share with a friend. Love it. We are in Advent, and I understand that not everybody may understand what that means, so let's walk through that for a minute. Advent is not just four weeks of a journey to remembering the birth of Christ, but an awareness of being fully conscious of where we are now. Advent is a story built on past Sorry, I'm starting my timer. Past, <laughs> story built on past, present, and future parallels. This is not a history lesson, but an awareness of a current position, living in the moment, conscious of Christ's position in our lives. While in a place of darkness, a world filled with sin and selfishness, we are still in waiting. That the coming of the king is a hopeful and joyous anticipation in faith that love will reign forever. That we do not just celebrate an amazing Christmas story that happened 2,000 years ago, but a sequel 
to a coming king that is better than the original as the king sends light into the darkness one last time and all hope and all love will prevail forever. This is Advent. We remember what has already happened and prepare for what is yet to come. I implore you, I ask you over the next few weeks to see that this time of preparation for the coming king and not just a celebration of history. There's something more. As a church, we will learn from the scriptures how God came down to unleash his kingdom here with humility, founded in love. These foundations tell us that God's redemption story has been in play for centuries and is still being lived out today. That we are not here to rest in his kingdom, but to lead into the lives of people around us a loving God and loving our neighbor and telling the story of salvation through Jesus while anticipating a return, just as the prophets, disciples, and the early church have done. This is not a passive waiting, but an active waiting. Just as Mary carried Jesus in her womb, daily anticipating his entry in labor, there will be times of pain, blood, tears, joy, release, love, community, and most assuredly hope. We will pray. We will exercise. We will care and work just as a pregnant mother would because this world is pregnant with a new hope. As we actively wait, the salvation and redemption through Jesus in his first coming that is present and available to all today, all of you, all of us, will see completion in the second coming we are waiting. As the famously sung song in this season, I'm sure it's on many of your playlists right now, on the radio, Joy to the World, it professes, Prepare him room. Prepare him room. Our goal in this season is to do just that. Remove the clutter and unhealthy things to allow Jesus to fill our space, our world, with his light. Just as the amazing, beautiful Clark family, Cadence and Kinley, led us this morning in the reading of Isaiah 9-2, we'll say it again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The question for each of you during this Advent season, I want you to consider these greatly for the rest of the month. Have you seen this light? Do you know what it looks like? What will you do when you find it? And if you do, how will it change you? In the parallels of the Advent story of what was and is to come, just as a room was found, not found for a pregnant mother and her baby to be born, would there be room in your heart today for the very same baby? Is this grown baby knocking at your door? Is there room for him? I'll tell you this, it's okay if there's not enough room yet. He is very patient. He is very kind. The only thing he asks only thing he asks is you let him do it. Isn't that beautiful? Let him clean our hearts, work in our souls, change us, make us new. As I mentioned 13 years ago, that was my story. Is today the beginning of your story? 
In this season of preparation and anticipation, just as we celebrate each year, December 25th, a king who came, we can mirror the anticipation through the hope that one day the king will return and all will be set right. Just as it is written in Revelation 21, 3, 4, I think we should have it on the screen here if you'd like to read along. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We are waiting. There's the hope. Just as we celebrate Christmas Day, the birth of Jesus, God coming down to earth in a collision of light into the darkness, what was already happened, we can anticipate this again as not yet complete. The same collision of light into the darkness awaits us. The salvation and redemption story started by Jesus available to us who will find completion in the next coming. This is Advent. This is the coming of the King. The beauty of the parallels of Scripture and today are so special and so important. And as we kick off the Advent season today, over the next four weeks, we're going to start with the prophecies, the space where the foretelling of the first coming and as we can learn for the second. But to understand the reflection of what is to come, we must first look in the mirror. The first coming of the King was not a surprise. It just kind of was maybe a surprise to how it happened to many. There was an expectation um, in the people of Israel that the coming king would be a conqueror, that would remove their oppressors in war, in force. As we know, that's not how Jesus came. He came humble and gentle and peaceful and set his kingdom on this earth through individuals of people spreading from one to the other being in opposition to the society and culture of force and oppression to love and acceptance. But we are in the same page today. The second coming is the same. We don't know when he's coming. But we can also be tempted to put our own expectations, our own anticipations on what that will look like. I urge you today to be open to what the Holy Spirit and what Jesus will do. But he has given us a task to be actively waiting and stepping into his kingdom into this world and bringing the light of love of Jesus to all as we wait. So the book of Micah, it may not have found many of our normal Bible study uh, rotations, but I do urge you to do so. Um, and just being honest with you, I had not spent much time in Micah until yesterday. So I am learning as you are, so which is really exciting. Thank you, Elena, for setting me up, and I know she would have done a great job here. Um, but the book of Micah is found in the Old Testament as one of the books of the prophets, the prophet of God. So you may have heard this term prophecy uh, or prophet before, but just to give a little context to what uh, Micah's position was, because actually this, in the, the prophet in the ancient days of Israel was a position in the government. It was, it was a position, not versus a gifting that a lot of times we, we attribute that today in the church of the gift of prophecy. 
the gifting works the same of a prophet hearing the voice of God and expressing that to the people. But Micah held a different position. He was a position of the prophet. So when he spoke, he spoke to kings. He spoke in government. He helped make law. He helped how, uh, establish how the kingdom was run. This is a very important role. So this, pro- this, this just kind of give an idea of, of how, what Micah is doing and how he is speaking into this situation. But he's speaking into the nation, but he's speaking into a nation that had been recently split by war, taken over an invasion, split of north and south. So Micah, speaking to kings, always would speak, in his book, it's a really interesting book to read, it's very poetically written, uh, ancient poetry, um, but it, he would have these layers. He first would bring like a warning, like the Lord said, this is going to happen if you don't change. This is the warning. And then he always followed up, and this is really important because I think this expresses the heart of God. He always followed up with a message of hope that God's redemption plan was never, ever out of the picture. The judgment didn't come without love, without a path back. The judgment was of consequences, but redemption was always a path back for people. So Micah presents this in, in this story and, and just kind of give a little context of what he's speaking into. In Micah chapter 1, he's originally uh, entering into this discussion with the kings and warning of the people uh, that over 500 years of rebellion has finally caught up to them. So this rebellion consisted of uh, many leaders, kings, rulers, using their power for their own gain, to gain wealth over the, the poor. The prophets, there's many prophets that abuse this as well. They were using their power and their position of speaking for God to gain wealth. They would offer promises or the protection from God for offerings and benefits to them. They were abusing that power. The kings and the rulers were holding land over those that were poor that had very little. If they didn't provide enough offering, they were taking their land and selling it for their own riches. Essentially, they lived in a world where the rich became richer and the, the poor became poorer off the rich. So they had taken all of their sense of security and land from the people. This is the rebellion for 500 years that had been established that Micah is speaking into. This rebellion was taking hope from the people. And, then, and essentially, this was important because this was a violation of, of the laws and the covenant God has set with Moses to the people. They were breaking all the rules for their own benefit and gain. This is important to, you know, to highlight. It's just this little, little slight sliver to the story of 500 years before God responds. For those that call the Old Testament God full of judgment and wrath, that's a long time. That's a long time, a lot of allowance to get things right, to fix things. So the result here is Micah speaks and he says, God's going to remove the protection. And what happens, the invasion of the Assyrian army comes in. The northern kingdom of Israel is taken by an oppressive nation and left to ruin. Some stayed and some would go as the Assyrian Empire took over. Assyrian Empire took over. This is also the history and the story of the Samaritans, as we have talked many, many times in the New Testament. Jesus tells many stories. This is how they came to be. They were part of the northern kingdom, a part of the split. But in this downturn, in this warning of judgment, in this depressing story, 
there is hope. And Micah speaks into this hope, into this chaotic time. An illustration about God's approach to redemption. That even when sin and destruction take root, God creates a way for redemption and restoration. With God, hope is always alive in our struggles, our bad decisions, and even willful sin. In chapter 2, Micah presents hope in God as the shepherd that will rescue his flock and regather them, this good shepherd, who will bring them back to a good land and become their king once more. So consequences to their actions, yes, but also followed by redemption. So whenever judgment came, redemption always followed. This is the heart of God. He would never leave us behind. So Micah presents the, his next message of hope that follows the destruction of the temple and, and, the, uh, and the northern kingdom, the Assyrian invasion, that God would restore the temple and fill the land again with his people, making Israel a place for the meeting of heaven and earth, where God will bring all the people to Israel, where God becomes king of all the nations, bringing peace to earth. Sounds wonderful. There's hope. After God brings his people back from exile, he will establish a new messianic king in the new Jerusalem from the line of David. This leads us to the poem today that Micah leaves for us of the coming king. You can read along with me in Micah 5, 1 through 5. And again, this is an ancient poetic uh, description. So it might be some odd stuff here, but let's, let's walk through that today. Now you are walled around the wall, Siege is laid against us, with a rod that strikes the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time. When she who is in labor has brought forth then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be one of peace. One of peace. Isn't that beautiful? This is thousands of years before the birth of Christ. Speaking into a chaotic situation, saying, here's the hope. And looking at this passage of, uh, that doesn't make sense. In the, in the context, we are looking at from behind this point of time, but from the people he's speaking to, someone born in a strange place, a small place, nothing on the map, coming from strange origins. But Micah is introducing the origins and position of the coming king. He says in verse 2, let's, we're going to focus on that for a little bit. He says, but for you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathahah, I don't know if I'm ever saying that right, by the way. This is a place and not a person. He's speaking, this, this term, Ephrathah, is used sometimes as a person in Scripture, but in this time, he's using as a place. It's kind of like saying Chapel Hill, North Carolina, is uh, at Bethlehem, Ephrathah, creating a very specific place. It's not even really on the map. It's not even in discussion. It is a small, little place. So in the midst of national tragedy, God speaks through Micah to say, I'm coming in the smallest of smallest places, places you haven't heard, something you do not expect. And he would describe this place as connected to Bethlehem, the place 
and of David. This lineage, important to a king. But this is important because, uh, I'm sorry here, but God's hope in restoration will come from the most humble beginnings, not just for the sake of being humble, but to instill hope that we can follow his hope in the same way. We need not to be the best, but humble to let God lead us. Michael, Micah t- uh, tells us of a preparing of a place of his incension incarnation. This is where hope comes down. This is where the impact of light hits the darkness. In Bethlehem, a nowhere place. He also, in verse 2, describes the origins of this being, this hope. And it's very interesting. Again, looking, let's, let's back, put ourselves in the position of those here in this day. Their homes have been taken. Their country's in ruin. They don't know where the hope is. Many of their relatives are in exile. And here's this man speaking for God, speaking of this being. Using this ancient word of alam, of ancient of days, of eternity. A person, a being coming from the everlasting, the everlasting, just as in Psalm 92 says, before the mountain were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's the same use of this word, olam, this place of, of this person being, of someone who has always been prior and always will be, but yet has this incarnation, this beginning point. Imagine hearing that as your hope. I might have stopped listening to Micah. It's so amazing how God speaks. And the beauty of this, the story, this specific, this specific verse is repeated in Matthew. Matthew uh, directly quotes Micah 5.2, connecting the prophecy. This, for, the, for centuries, they were like, who is this unknown person? Matthew describes this is the person. This is the person Micah is talking about. Connecting the prophecy to Jesus, a baby born in Bethlehem comes from internal origins to rule from a humble position of a shepherd. Matthew 2, 6 says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Matthew was presenting in a time not unlike Micah's. Both in a land of religious corruption. Both were in a nation divided. And both found themselves under the rule of an invasion, invasive nation. For Micah, it was Assyria. For Matthew, it was Rome. Micah, like Matthew, was presenting that the Lord God, Yahweh, was knocking at the door. He had not forgot. Redemption was at hand. And I love how they use the term of the shepherd. I recently, tell a little quick story here, um, had a fun trip that I went to uh, this uh, conference with some pastors uh, a couple months ago. Um, I went with some familiar faces, uh, our old friend Matt Leroy and Pastor Dan, and they had me laughing the entire time. I'll tell you, that was the time of my life. And uh, we uh, went to this conference, and we were, we were the rebels, a few of us, about like 10 of us pastors, like we're not going to eat at the conference. We're going to get our own food for dinner one night. 
we're so thankful we did. We uh, ventured out to this Mediterranean restaurant, and uh, we go in, we're standing in line. We, we notice on the sign the, the fish symbols. We're like, oh, okay, a Christian-owned business is awesome. You know, we're supporting them. And uh, then we started looking on the walls, and these, like, these newspaper clippings were on the walls in, in these frames. And we're like, oh, what's this? And they were Egyptian newspapers. And uh, on, the, on the top title, it said, The Good Shepherd. We're reading it and found out that the, one of the owners of the restaurant was an actual shepherd in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. So like 10 pastors, many in seminary, and a whole bit are like, ooh, whoa, we got to talk to this guy. All the references, we've got to get the con- like true context here. And he came and joined us for dinner. It was amazing. Humble, humble men and women just sitting there just listening to him share. We asked so many questions. And he was a, he was a part-time preacher and a part-time owner of a Mediterranean restaurant. And he was just amazing. But he shared with us the concept of what shepherding really was. And he was a shepherd in the southern part of Egypt, the kind of the hotter district, the more dangerous area. So we got a, a, a pretty extreme reference. And so, and we were asking in the, in the frame of, because knowing that he was a believer, like when Jesus speaks of the good shepherd, how does that work in context? He shared with us. So his day, he would get up early, had to get up early. Timing was everything for the sheep because of the dangers of the day. And so he would get up with his sheep early in the morning and they had to be back in the pen in safety by noon that day because it was going to be so hot. And two things would happen. In the heat, the snakes, okay? So this is the, in, in the heat, um, in this space, dry desert, the snakes had nowhere to keep cool. So where they would go, they would hide under the sheep. So, and, and he also shared with us, he said, there's no, uh, there's no good snakes in Egypt. <laughs> Just like, they're all poisonous and all, uh, all dangerous. And so, and they would also really love the pregnant sheep because they would bite the milk. And then the, then the, the baby sheep, but, um, what are they call calves, would go to uh, you know, get milk from the mother and they would be poisoned and the mothers would die. So there's a great danger. So this, po- this point of the shepherd, he had to continually watch what was happening, continually watch the ground, continually guide them away from rocks where they might hide. It was a constant view of the sheep. And he started to describe the sheep. He, didn't, he, he definitely, you know, he said, there's a reason why sheeps are, in, are not in the circus. In that beautiful line. <laughs> They're not very smart, they do, but they are very loyal. He said they're very loyal. They knew who they follow, and they will go wherever the shepherd goes. So therefore, if, they, if it was a bad shepherd, the bad shepherd would take him out the wrong times of the day, because in the late evenings, then the wolves would be in danger. In the day, it was the snakes. The good shepherd makes sure that the times of the day are perfectly kept to keep the sheep safe. They're constantly looking for the surroundings, knowing that they need a shepherd, that if they didn't have one, they would wander off and surely die. The dangers of the world were constantly around, so the good shepherd is always at watch. The good shepherd is always up early. The good shepherd is patient. The good shepherd is kind. It was so enlightening to see, and so in reference to this form of the shepherd, this humble person sitting in the sun all day, watching these animals, they're not very smart. Although we're referencing Jesus calls us sheep, well, you know, he, <laughs> sheep is a sheep, but, uh, <laughs> but he understands the loyalty, and there's a need for the shepherd to survive. 
So the good shepherd, the shepherd king, both Micah and Matthew were the voice of God speaking into what was to come and what is to come of this shepherd king that loves his people, knows that they make bad decisions without him, that will guide us through the troubles and the dangers, that gets up early and stays up late, that sits in the mud, that sits in the rain, that never leaves the sheep alone. What a humble position of a king. There is no throne for this king that sits in the desert in the heat of the day. Throne would be a rock or a staff. These men, speaking into these troubled situations, both speaking from a position of people ignoring God's law and lacking health and reliance on God. But remember, hope always follows the judgment. They both speak light into the darkness. Here's hope today. I want to put this picture in your mind today. Think about this. Let me know if this connects. A nation divided. A people seeking themselves first. People of power using the poor to become rich. Faith leaders with false, false promises of hope for personal gain. People living in the dark in need of the light. Sound familiar? One of the benefits, we are in between the two comings. We're in between. Micah spoke from a time of yet to come. Matthew is speaking of that coming. We are living post this. We're in a position of actively waiting for the completion of the mission that Jesus came and set. We have a certain set of tools and understandings. The reason why many of you come here Sundays, many of you come to our Bible study on Tuesday, many of you are in joining your discipleship bands and your small groups, you're learning and growing to understand what actively waiting means. I see many of you standing in the lobby of this place helping those in need. I see many of you getting here early to Make sure food's out for those in need. We're actively waiting. We have a gift of Jesus' teachings, the Beatitudes, and seeing that the love of Jesus is prevalent for all, that we must enter this world and, and engage each other in meekness and humbleness. And that's who will inherit the kingdom of God. This is hope presented by Jesus. We have an opportunity in this space as we get excited for the coming of the king, we have his words, we have his mission, we have his spirit. We have every opportunity to present the gospel to those around us. And I know us as, us as a church, we do a really, really great job of loving the unloved. I'm so proud of each and every one of you that do that. So proud of you. We, we have built a great culture of that here. We also want to challenge and establish a growth area for us. There are also a lot of people out there that may not look like they obviously have a need. That need Jesus. They're in these positions just as we can be in a position of Micah, speaking hope into lives, saying, I know your situation is rough, and I know you may be caught up 
in selfishness. I know you may be caught up in power. But hope follows the judgment. That Jesus is for them. The salvation and reconciliation options are for them just as it is for each and one of us. And I want to challenge us today to speak boldly into people's lives. Speak boldly. Acts 28, 31 says, Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. This is a, a direction into the church. Yes, we're going to clothe those that need to be clothed and feed those that need to be fed. But people need food that is not on a table. And if you believe in Jesus, if God has changed your life, you are commissioned to go into the world to preach his gospel. And that may be the world, maybe your neighbor beside you in your office. Or sitting beside you in your study group. Your roommate. The neighbor down the street. They are our mission to bring the love of Jesus to them too. Even if it doesn't look like they have an obvious need. I want to challenge our church this next year, in this Advent season. Whether it's inviting them to a service here today on a Sunday, inviting them to your Bible study, or just sitting on the front porch or at a lunch break, and just tell them your story, what God has done. Be genuine. Speak life into them. It is for everyone. But be that Micah. Speaking hope into the darkness. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. I would love for one day to walk, listen to this room and hear countless stories of my friend Bob invited me. My friend Brandon invited me. AJ invited me. I was lost. I was one way. And now I'm another. I've been changed because somebody invited me into their lives to tell, this, tell them of what Jesus had done for them. That is our challenge today. We're going to move into a time of communion. What my friends Pixie and Tiana can come down. Let's, say, let's give Pixie a hand. She's their first Sunday leading us in communion. My friends, so thankful. Sorry to embarrass you, maybe, but so thankful. But this invitation of hope that we enter into this Advent season, even though we talk and we, we are thankful for the manger. We cannot forget that baby that came in the manger came to do. And this is the hope we present to people, okay? This is the hope that he came, and for our sins, and for our wrongdoings, our selfishness, these things, this rebellion that we live in, his body was broken to complete that redemption story. It was broken for us. Our friends need to hear this. And this is the beauty of the table. Invite them to the table just as each one of you are invited to the table. His body, his blood was shed so that we can have hope today, that we can stand in here today. Our neighbors, our classmates, they need to know this truth as well. Invite them to this table just as you are today. That is your challenge. That is your challenge this Advent season. Well, thank you for today. Uh, Beth, my friend Beth, is going to lead us down here row by row. You're going to come around here. Tiana and Pixie are going to serve you.
there is a gluten-free option if you like. You can come back around to your seat and consume the elements. May God bless you today. Welcome to Advent.